Chapter 21 Ruins Lost Roland's spirit should have risen as he journeyed up the foothills and into the inner rim. The water season had arrived, and they had everything they would need for binding pendants save for their air stones. Roland wanted to blame his sour mood on his persistent limp, the constant rain, or even the terrain that grew ever more difficult to traverse. Only he couldn't. Without maintained paths, it took an entire wave to cross the foothills. They had to circumnavigate deep valleys that fed rapid-filled rivers, normally dormant most of the year. Sebulon hardly spoke aside from essential conversation regarding camp needs, or plans to hunt and forage each day to rebuild supplies. That silence grew into a chasm between them. Roland's last attempt to mend the divide with the water stone had utterly failed, and he was running out of time at another chance before the peaks. High in the inner rim, the rain finally ceased as they reached the layer of clouds. They had exchanged the annoying rain for a blinding thick mist in all directions. Roland breathed in the moisture-laden air. At times, he almost thought he could see the season's essence floating in the clouds around him. He was tired and wet, and tired of being wet. Adding to their troubles, now that they had gained enough altitude, the temperature dropped as well. His damp leather sent him reeling back into the air season. At least the discomfort distracted him from the brewing tension with his companion. Roland fretted over his sodden shoes and feet. They needed a good drying before applying the pelts and traversing the snow-capped peaks. Sebulon stopped abruptly, pulling Roland out of his thoughts. What is it? he asked. Sebulon didn't reply. Roland bit back further comment and followed his friend's gaze up the slope. Only the mist of clouds greeted him. Then a thick patch shifted with an elevated breeze. A towering rock wall emerged, along with a stone structure built onto it. A large ruin set onto the face of a steeply sloped mountain wall. The dark stone walls blended in with the surrounding rocky terrain. Long vines swallowed most of the building's exterior. While long abandoned, it appeared mostly intact, standing three stories tall with a lone tower on the southeastern corner, away from the mountain, which stretched into more mist. An old empire ruin, Roland said. You mean from Borak's reign? Sebulon asked. Had that been interest in his voice? The thought sparked hope in Roland as he added, from then or the time of the tour. Only the four tribes have lived here since the scattering of the empire. Sebulon frowned but didn't say more. Roland walked past him and toward the old structure. Perhaps this interesting find was just the distraction their relationship needed. However, upon not hearing his companion following, he halted to look back. Aren't you coming? We've got to see what's inside this thing. Sebulon squinted at the mist-veiled structure. After a long moment, he shook his head and spoke with annoyance, that's not what we're here for. We need to get onto those peaks and find our air stones so we can finish the trials. Besides, I don't want anything to do with something from the days of that tyrant. Roland found himself speechless. They had always talked of old ruins when they were younger. As children they would run off exploring from their villages in hopes of finding some old imperial ruin still clinging to a lost treasure. They hadn't known at the time, but nearly every ruin in the mountains had been dismantled to reuse the stone in village foundations. Roland almost mentioned those old childhood fancies, but his friend's dark expression made him think better of it. 
You are right, he conceded, but we can't go straight out of the cloud cover and into the peaks. We need to inventory our provisions, dry out our leathers, and stitch on the wolf pelts first. At least these ruins would provide shelter against this blasted mist for a night. Sebulon glanced around as if he could see through the clouds and into what lay beyond. Finally, he shrugged. All right. You mind starting a fire and drying the pelts? I can manage that. And what about you? Sebulon stretched an arm out at the mountain. I'm going to break the cloud cover and see where we are. Then see what I can forage nearby. Roland nodded his agreement, for all it was worth, and watched his friend leave. A pit twisted in his stomach, and he turned to enter the ruins before the discomfort grew further. Everything changed once he crossed the cracked archway of an old door. The mist stayed behind and only the dull echo of a breeze remained. He reached what might have been a foyer of sorts and set his gear down before heading back out for wood. Everything lay damp but using his firestone's essence and conductor, he got a fire started next to a broken section of wall where the smoke could escape. He laid the wolf pelts on the ground near the fire to slowly dry. After another round of collecting wood, he waited on Sebulon to return. An hour passed, then another, but he didn't come. He should be back by now. A dark thought surfaced in Roland's head. What if Sebulon decided he was better off finishing the trials on his own? He had his own share of elemental stones and rations. Roland squashed the thought with a shake of his head. His friend would be back. He needed the pelts to survive the snow-capped peaks. Plus, he wouldn't leave Roland like that. Elements, he hoped that was the case. Sitting around put Roland on edge. So, he set off into the inner chambers of the ruins to see what he could find. Little daylight found its way through cracks in the stone. He pulled out his mountain heart whose golden glow lit the deserted space. The air had a mossy, damp smell. The brittle remains of furniture lingered in the larger rooms. It crumbled under his feet. He couldn't even guess the purpose of each space. Most buildings he knew only had one room, maybe two. The larger the building, the larger the room. The stone stairs remained intact, spiraling up one corner. The second floor seemed much like the first, only with smaller rooms that lined long corridors. The structure's integrity degraded as he ascended higher. Part of the wall on the spiral stairs had fallen away to let in a trail of mist. On the third level, he no longer needed his mountain heart for light. The entire roof had fallen in on itself and littered the ground in a rotting heap. Some of it looked ashen, as if consumed by flame. Most likely the heat strike of a firestorm had been the culprit. The old roof supporting stone arches still spanned like exposed ribs overhead. Vines traced along them, and as they reached higher in the mist, bright flowers blossomed from the vines. They bloomed with fluffy white petals lined in a sky blue, and golden stigma sprouted from their centers. He breathed deep at seeing the mass of sky lilies, the aromatic scent clung to the moist air. It hinted of fruit and warmth, despite the chilling effect of mist on his body. Roland had seen sky lilies once before. The vine only grew at a specific altitude. They were also the only plant in the heartland that didn't bloom in the nature season. One of his mother's first rock climbing sessions with him ventured up the slopes near their village during a water season. He was around 12 at the time. 
he recalled how the thick clouds swirled around him in tight eddies during their ascent into the mountains. Bastina claimed it was her favorite climbing route to do some thinking. He hadn't understood what she meant back then. But standing in that old ruin, beneath the exposed roof and that floral scent filling the air, he began to understand his mother. He wished she was there with him. She was probably dealing with clan council issues at that moment, likely something trivial. That or she was with Anya and little Tibus. His parents seemed to never get their fill of time with their grandson as of late. An unexpected longing grew in Roland. After years of constant training and lectures, he never thought he could miss his home and family so much. It took effort to push the thoughts aside before they overwhelmed him. He wandered over to the cylindrical tower in the corner. Vines of sky lily blossoms sprawled up the tower's walls. Without so many layers of mist blocking the view, the broken-off section of the tower was revealed. It only reached ten feet beyond where the roof above him had once been. As daylight tried to pierce the flowing mist, something glinted in the exposed tower. It hinted of a dull gold. Maybe copper, though slightly corroded? He cautiously entered the tower's base, uncertain of the structure's stability. Braided strands of copper spiraled down along the walls. Some sections of the strands had corroded entirely away while others had gone white and green, covered with a chalky substance. He followed their path down to a stone table. A black, metallic dish, sealed with a matching dome lid, sat on the stone. Unlike the copper, the black dish hadn't corroded one bit. Was it made from asterium or? How had the builders managed to form the stubborn metal into such a complicated shape? Roland looked around for anything else of interest. A faded mural covered the far wall. The colors had faded with time, but he still got a sense of the image it once displayed. It showed a glistening domed roof of a tower that looked made entirely of copper. Several lines of copper traveled down the column to a small, black dish like the one on the stone ledge. However, the dish in the picture lay split open, and a colored stone sat inside. The stone was faded and small, but he caught its green coloring. Only then did he notice the clusters of faded green strands that spread across the sky and around the tower's dome. His fingers traced the wave of essence pictured on the wall while whispering, so, it draws in the essence from a passing wave, sending it down these coils and into the dish. His finger traced the path, then turned to look at the dish behind him. The idea was quite plausible. It was essentially how seasonal stones formed in the heartland over several years, only this would be far more concentrated. Roland returned to the black dish. The metal, undisturbed despite the centuries, looked out of place with its crumbling surroundings. Knowing it opened somehow, it only took a moment to find the latching mechanism. Still, it stubbornly clung to the position it had held for centuries. Using his Itax blade, he pried it open. When it finally gave way, the flawless fire stone inside startled him. The stone wasn't large, only a couple finger widths across, but its vibrant surface didn't contain a single flaw or impurity that he could find. The bright swirls of red essence inside it churned in a steady drift. He already had a fire stone for his binding pendant, but to still have one after they fused would prove useful. He collected it and returned to the small camp he set at the ground level. Why had the founders let these structures degrade into ruin? They could harvest essence from the waves passing into the heartland for the mother's sake. 
It seemed far more practical than warding off predators while scouring the land for elemental stones in the trials. But perhaps that was the point. Where in the shadow have you been? Sebulon asked upon Roland's return. He started, mind still consumed in thought. Oh hey, he said, collecting himself. I took a walk about the ruins. Seb, you're not going to believe this place. Sebulon didn't appear to have heard a word. The fire almost died while you were gone. I barely got it going again. It's going to take the pelts hours to dry now. Oh, I'm sorry. But never mind that. Look what I found. Roland pulled out the pure fire stone. A hint of surprise flickered across Sebulon's brow but faded just as fast. We already have all the fire stones needed for the binding pendants. Focus on what comes next, and that's getting ready for the mountain peaks, not playing around in some old ruin. Irritation swelled in Roland, forcing him to take a calming breath. The night before going into the peaks wasn't the right time for the difficult conversation bound to happen between them. He still hoped to salvage what remained of their friendship. But if they didn't work through their differences, they were more likely to kill each other than finish the trials. He sank down on the opposite end of the fire and put away the fire stone. The thick scent of smoke made him miss the sky lilies blossoming up above. As the silence and discomfort lingered, he asked, So, what did you find? Sebulon inspected the stretched out wolf pelts, checking for dampness with his fingers. We are by the talons. They are just up the slope there and to the west. He gestured outside the ruin. The talons? Are you certain? Sebulon sounded annoyed. Yes, it's hard to mistake that mountain's features. There's another peak to the north. It has a smooth cap with rock outcropping surrounding part of it. Baron's Peak, Roland said. I didn't realize how far north we've gone. We are almost inside of your tribal lands. Sebulon shrugged. Doesn't matter. It should make for an easy time in the peaks. No one else would have come this far and harvested air stones off those mountains yet. Roland nodded absently. His parents had drilled into him just how dangerous the peaks could be. Knowing the response, he asked, are we still following the original plan? You take one mountain and I'll grab the other? They could only last so long in the cold peaks. Going together meant needing to find two air stones, and they simply couldn't find that many in the time permitted in those conditions. But despite their strained relationship, Roland didn't want to part ways with his friend. Don't see why we should change it, Sebulon replied, but I've been thinking. We need to establish conditions before we go. Conditions? Sebulon found his pack and went through his foodstuffs, laying out dried meat, root vegetables, nuts, and some recently harvested mushrooms, all wrapped in individual bundles of soft leather. We have about a wave's worth of supplies for each of us. If pressed, it can be stretched to ten days, he said, dividing the rations into equal shares. The last wave arrived two days back. I say we put a limit on how long the first person back waits for the other to return. What? I'm not leaving here without you, Roland protested. The instant it left his mouth, he realized that wasn't the scenario his friend had in mind. Sebulon paused for a moment before returning to the supplies. The reaction confirmed the suspicion. Roland's body and spirit deflated instantly. 
his friend and companion for the last season had finally grown tired of the burden he had become. Sebulon no doubt suspected Roland would go wandering off, and this time get himself killed. And as much as it hurt to think about it, there was logic in the plan. You know it's the right call, Sebulon said. We can only survive so long up there with these rations. After that point comes and one of us isn't back here, there's a large chance that person won't be returning. And without more supplies, whomever did make it back can't return up there. Not like there's a chance in the shadow they would ever find the other person on a mountain top, let alone alive. Despite the logic, Roland didn't entirely agree. Still, he nodded. All right. We go up, find an air stone, and then come back here. We wait no more than two full waves. Two waves. We only have rations for ten days at most. Yes, and with a mountain heart that time can be stretched even further. And you know that's true, Roland stated firmly. It took effort to retain his calm. Sebulon's eyes looked ready to protest further, so Roland added to his point, you said it yourself earlier. We've come all this way and are nearly done with the trials. Let's not get overexcited about the final stretch and see it through the right way, the way we started. Sebulon's protest died with a sigh and his body slackened. Two waves it is then. He grabbed some strips of dried meat and a handful of mushrooms from the ration piles and passed them to Roland. He accepted his meager meal for the night, glad to be done with the awkward discussion. He chewed for an age on the tough meat, but the mushrooms were fresh and full of flavor. They ate in silence until he felt the need to cover one last point about tomorrow. Which peak do you want to take? Sebulon shrugged and tossed a mushroom into his mouth. Doesn't matter. Every peak is the same. Roland knew that wasn't true, but he didn't feel compelled to point it out. In that case, I'll take the talons, he said. The talons would be a tough climb. It wasn't like Sebulon needed any protecting. Thus far in the trials, it had been Roland who routinely taunted death. It started with Hannes and Lucas, then the pack of Greybacks and the waterfalls. That first fight hadn't been Roland's fault, but he still needed Sebulon to come in and save him, just like the other events. In a way, Roland hoped that taking the more challenging mountain would pay some of that back to his friend. If Sebulon noticed, he gave no sign. He only nodded and returned to his meal. From above, the clouds lost their darkened shades of grey as seen from below. Instead, they formed bright white puffs that rippled across the heartland below Roland. On the outer rim of the mountains, the clouds climbed up in an undulating river to cross the high valley between mountain peaks. As beautiful of a sight that it made, it wasn't the focus of his attention. Sebulon walked off to the north. His cloak and leathers now coated in pelts of fur made him appear like a bear marching up to Baron's Peak. Snow spotted the ground around him, refusing to melt even after the air season's departure. Their parting felt too much like goodbye to Roland, and one without a proper farewell at that. No, that wouldn't be the case. He'd see his friend again in a wave's time back in the ruins. Roland was certain of that. It wouldn't be right for either of them not to succeed after coming this far. They deserved better, they deserved to obtain their fusions, especially Sebulon. An unseasonably cold wind found the gaps between Roland's furs. It almost made him miss the rain and warmer temperatures down below the clouds. Almost. 
He turned and looked up at the talons. A row of three separate, steep peaks capped the mountain, like an eagle's talon scratching the sky. One last stone, he said and adjusted his pack before beginning his own ascent up the snow-covered slopes.